Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Good evening, and welcome to NYC Now. I'm Janae Pierre for WNYC. We begin in Manhattan, where a judge is moving forward with arguments over whether the federal government should take over New York City's troubled jail complex on Rikers Island. Judge Laura Swain says she's not convinced the Adams administration is, quote, willing and able to make the necessary changes to keep incarcerated people safe. Monitors overseeing the jails say the efforts so far by the Department of Correction constitutes little more than window dressing. City officials argue they inherited a jail at the apex of a crisis and have made considerable progress, but the judge wasn't persuaded. WNYC's Matt Katz talked with my colleague Michael Hill about what all this means. That conversation after the break. When you see actor Danielle Brooks on the red carpet at the Oscars, she will be in full glamour and in grief. I've been with Sophia for so long. And I just know, like, after the Oscars, that chapter is really done. And that saddens me. I'm Kai Wright. A star of The Color Purple honors the role that shaped her career. Next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. A possible federal takeover of the city jail system would be an extraordinary step as we know it. Would you give us a sense of how we got here? Yeah, I would describe it as a steady drip of bad news out of the jails over the last couple of years and then just a waterfall of developments over the last few weeks. The death rate at the city jails last year was the highest it's been in 25 years. 19 detainees died. That was coupled with a huge trove of recent news stories and government reports detailing substandard medical care, rampant violence, huge staff absenteeism that led to unmanned posts and units, extensive fentanyl use, correction officers failing to provide care or security to detainees, and decrepit physical conditions, you know, doors that don't lock, knives fashioned out of broken plexiglass used in stabbings every day. So so that all brought about calls for a federal takeover with, with some elected officials coming out for it, like the city comptroller and public advocate and certain city council members and public defenders from the Legal Aid Society. And then most impactfully, just in the last few weeks, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan and a federal monitor who oversees Rikers, also they also signaled the need to move toward a takeover. Matt, you reported last year that the judge involved here had rejected calls for a federal takeover. Did she explain what changed her mind? U.S. District Court Judge Laura Taylor Swain, uh, yes, she said that the Adams administration plan to fix Rikers has basically failed. Last year, she she gave the city time to implement its so-called action plan to address Rikers. And, and while she acknowledged some improvements here and there, she said the pace of reform was unacceptable. The judge is involved here because of a 2015 agreement between the Legal Aid Society, U.S. Attorney's Office, and and the city to address violence, uh, particularly officers' use of force. A federal monitor was installed to oversee improvements and, and, and make reports to the court about the improvements. The monitor until recently worked cooperatively 
with the city to, to try to help them make changes. But what really happened is the monitor saying the city, uh, this is what happened in the last few weeks, the monitor saying the city had essentially started thumbing its nose at federal oversight. Mm-hmm. The monitor is accusing the correction department of providing false information, failing to provide accurate details about violent incidents, including deaths. A detainee recently died of a skull fracture and correction officials first attributed the death to a pre-existing heart condition. And the monitor said just this week uh, they visited the jails and there was so much open drug use without officers doing anything about it that one member of their monitoring team who's pregnant had to walk away because of the fumes. The monitor also described detainees getting gang assaulted in recent weeks and officers standing by doing nothing. So essentially, the monitor has just lost total faith in Correction Commissioner Louis Molina. And once that happened, the dominoes fell. The U.S. attorney said the Correction Department should be held in contempt of court, and the, and the judge agreed to hear arguments about a takeover. Um, she said that the urgency of the danger facing those incarcerated in the jails at Rikers cannot be overstated. So the judge is hearing arguments about a takeover, but when would a takeover actually happen and what might that mean? It's going to take a while. Uh, The arguments between the the city, which opposes the takeover, and the U.S. attorney and defense attorneys, which which favor it, will go back and forth until early next year. So we won't get a decision until at least then. If the judge then orders a takeover, a person known as a federal receiver would be put in charge of the jails, and that person could make hiring and firing decisions, scrap contracts and and work rules, and really try to change the culture of the correction department. This is a really, really rare thing. Uh, Hernandez Stroud from the Brennan Center for Justice, he says local jail and prison authorities have only had their power stripped away 12 times in the history of the U.S., and, and nothing has involved anything as big as the New York City Correction Department. But the judge appeared to give the city one last chance. Uh, she wants the city to start working with the monitor to demand transformative change. From its workforce, she said she'll be watching, New Yorkers will be watching, the press will be watching, and, quote, the loved ones of those who live and work in the jails will be watching in justifiable expectation as well as in hope. Man, it seems as if the debate over the federal takeover already has become a political issue in the city. How is this all playing out politically? Well, if it were to happen, it would be quite a rebuke to Mayor Eric Adams and his administration. So he adamantly opposes this. Uh, Commissioner Molina said his team has reduced some violence in jails over the last year and that it's unfair to compare violence now to 2016, say, or 2015, because bail reform has meant a higher concentration of violent offenders at Rikers. So so that's their defense. And mm-hmm. the Correction Officers Union is, is also... Uh, the other major entity like the city that opposes this takeover. And and that makes sense because their power and worker protections could really be threatened by a federal receiver. And in recent days, we've then seen political support uh, for the union and the city coming out more vocally against federal receivership. So centrist Democrat and Republican council members visited Rikers and declared it essentially a great facility. Uh, council mm. member Vicky Palladino posted pictures of herself playing ping pong with a detainee and said progressives were lying about how bad it is. 
But in court yesterday, Deputy uh, Federal Monitor Anna Friedberg, she cited, cited statistics from what was going on at Rikers beyond the ping pong tables on that very day um, that uh, the council member was, was visiting. And she made the point that the correction department is, is obscuring the reality for political purposes. So she said that on that very day that council members had their tour and played ping pong with detainees, there were 29 uses of force by officers, four stabbings, 12 detainee fights, seven fires were set, and there were 10 possible suicide attempts, plus multiple seizures of cocaine and fentanyl and sharp objects. And she said that's just one snapshot of life at Rikers right now that that makes it continually dangerous for detainees and staff. That's WNYC's Matt Katz talking with my colleague Michael Hill. There's no argument that hip-hop has made a major cultural impact on New York City. But one New Yorker is working to make that impact geographic. WNYC reporter Precious Fondren has more on a push to designate hip-hop landmarks across the Big Apple. When you go to New Orleans, you know you're in the birthplace of jazz. Same goes for when you visit Nashville, where country music reigns supreme. Leroy McCarthy wants the same for New York. Being a Brooklyn kid and knowing where uh, rappers are from, where uh, hip-hop storylines are originated from, the clubs, the streets, I pretty much put that knowledge together to honor landmarks for hip-hop. McCarthy is a location manager for television shows and films like Summer of Sam and He Got Game. He's also the man behind getting many street signs co-named after prominent figures in hip-hop. Thanks to him, the corner of St. James Place and Fulton Street in Brooklyn is named after the notorious B.I.G. And on the Lower East Side, the corner of Ludlow and Riverton is named after the Beastie Boys. If it were up to him, the entire city would be one big shrine to hip-hop and its impact. Well, I think it's about time. The powers that be, from the government offices to um, various different entities, they could have done more and embraced hip-hop as the city where the music genre and cultural movement originated, McCarthy says there are many streets, buildings, and sites that are significant to hip-hop. I met McCarthy on Christopher Notorious B.I.G. Wallace Way. Here, there are large-scale paintings of the rapper and his lyrics on various buildings like Key Food. That's where Biggie worked before becoming an internationally known artist. This is the same as uh, historical music, pop culture, landmarks such as Abbey Road in England for the Beatles or Graceland in, in Tennessee for Elvis. This corner here where Biggie grew up is one of those places. Baby staring at the radio, staying up all night. A couple days later, we met on the Lower East Side at Beastie Boys Square. The Beastie Boys shot the cover for their second album, Paul's Boutique, in the area. They decorated to make it look as if it was um, on Paul's Boutique. And uh, that album cover was very pivotal. It took almost a decade to get the square renamed after the iconic trio. In September, there will finally be a dedication ceremony to unveil the new street sign. McCarthy says he's now working to get August designated as Hip Hop Recognition Month across the country. That's WNYC reporter Precious Fondren. Thanks for listening to NYC Now from WNYC. Shout out to our production team. It includes Sean Bowditch, Ave Carrillo, Audrey Cooper, Leora Noam Kravitz, Jared Marcel, and Wayne Schulmeister. 
with help from the entire WNYC newsroom. Our show art was designed by the folks at Buck, and our music was composed by Alexis Quadrado. I'm Janae Pierre. We'll be back Monday. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.